receiving that. Let me give you a couple quick things that are going on. You saw all the different announcements. Be sure and, and take note of those. That women's pajama party is uh, a week from Friday, I believe. It may be two weeks from Friday. Check your bulletin, okay? I'll mess you up. Some of you men say, well, why don't we ever have a pajama party? Well, I don't want to be scarred. I'm going to look at you all night. No, I'm just kidding. No, you guys come out to that, ladies. Also, I want to give you a special invitation. Listen, this is the last night you can do this. We have a church golf tournament. This is just for fellowship. If you've never played, it's all right. Come out to this. That Sunday. If you need info on that, be sure and go to the information table and they'll help you. Also, uh, just, just be sure and check your bulletin. A lot going on. All right, go with me to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, we took a couple weeks off here. We've been talking about the fear of the Lord. I don't know for how many months. Man, I'm going to tell you, this stirs me up. This is, this is very beneficial to me. Very beneficial. You're going to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple passages to you in the message translation pertaining to the fear of the Lord. This is in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29 of the message. Because you hated knowledge and had nothing to do with the fear of God. Because you wouldn't take my advice and brushed aside all my offers to train you. Well, you've made your bed, now lie in it. You wanted your own way, now how do you like it? Don't you see what happens, you simpletons, you idiots? Carelessness kills and complacency is murder. That doesn't beat around the bush, does it? It's, it's pretty right to the point, pretty straightforward here. Because we didn't like knowledge. You know where knowledge comes from? This book right here. And he said, because you didn't live with the fear of the Lord. So that's the first one I want to read you. The second one is in Proverbs 14, verse number 26. It says, the fear of God builds up confidence and makes the world safe for your children. What does that? The fear of God. Ooh, that is good for a society to have a fear of God among them. Verse 27, the fear of God is a spring of living water, so you won't go off drinking from poison wells. So he gives us a little insight, just the importance of living with the fear of God. Now I want you to understand the fear of God, guys. This doesn't mean that God is sitting in heaven right now with a Texas-sized fly swatter just waiting to swat you. Just wait. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. And God, he, God likes golf, but God doesn't tee up your head on a tee and think, man, I'm, I'm going to knock their head off. That's not God, okay? The fear of God is to reverence God, to honor God, okay? Okay, Hebrews 12 is where we're going to be again. Now, we've read this verse numerous times through this, and we're probably going to keep reading it. Let's just read it again. Hebrews chapter number 12, begin with me in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom. Now note there, guys, he didn't say you're going to earn a kingdom. You receive kingdom. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace. Now understand this about the grace of God. The grace of God is a gift. It cannot be earned. Now, he said grace here. Let us receive or, or get grace from God. It only comes that way. And grace, it covers. But grace is not merely a cover-up, okay? Many times we've heard teaching that, you know what? 
I can do whatever I want. I live under the grace of God. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a false teaching. That teaching will get you in trouble. How do we know that that's wrong? Well, listen to what he says here. That we go by a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may what? Serve God. Now, if you'll note there, he didn't say to have grace to do whatever we want. He said, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you an empowering to live for me, to serve me. So I believe this is what he's telling us here. God imparts a desire for reverent obedience with us through grace. But not only that, grace gives us the ability to walk it out. Now, how, guys, are we to serve God by grace? Well, he goes ahead and tells us. Acceptably, with reverence, and with a godly fear. With due reverence, and with godly fear. So I believe more and more when I look at this, the, the evidence that a person has received God's grace is a life of obedience that serves him. Woo, that's powerful right there. The evidence that I'm walking in the grace that God gives me is a life that wants to obey God and serve God. Now the next verse he says this, for our God is a consuming fire. One translation says that he torches all that needs to be burned in our lives. God wants to burn up the junk in our lives so we can serve him. Where we can do what he asks us to do. Now, to serve God, guys, it's not difficult. To serve God for me, it's a joy and a treat now. To honor God and just, man, Lord, I want to please you. And it goes back to this kind of like with our earthly fathers. And I wanted to please my earthly father. I didn't like to tick my dad off. Did you ever tick your dad off a couple times a day? But I didn't want to do those things. I wanted to please my dad. Well, this is the thing with, with Father God. This is what grace does. It, it empowers me to please him, to live for him. Go back a couple pages to, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. So look at grace, guys. It imparts a desire to, to reverently obey him. Man, Father God, grace me today to help me walk out in obedience. Hebrews 5. Verse 5. So also Christ did not glory himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of, of Melchizedek. Now, when you read this, guys, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of being a priest. Everything that it took to be a priest that was him and more. Keep reading. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death. Now, when you read that part there in verse 7, this is describing Jesus' life when he was in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was in this garden, guys, this was before he was going to be crucified. So think about this. Jesus is very aware that in these upcoming days, he's going to die. Not only is he going to die, he knows precisely how he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be beaten. 
So let's read it again with the thought here that Jesus is very aware of these upcoming days in his life. Verse 7 again. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now this is interesting to me right here. That Jesus himself, guys, he lived with the godly fear. Now the definition of the godly fear that Jesus lived under was a reverent submission to the will of God. Jesus feared God and he said, I want to live to please you. I want your will to be done in my life. And so this kind of gives us a different view and description of the godly fear that he's talking about. That Jesus, yes, lived with the godly fear, but it was this to say, Father God, I'm, I'm going to live for your will. Your will be done, Lord, in my life. Right now. Verse 8. Though Jesus was a son, yet he learned obedience. Jesus himself had to learn obedience. And how did he learn obedience? By the things which he suffered. Verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now I begin to think about this, what it says here. The author of salvation to who? To all those who obey him. So what good is it for me to acknowledge Jesus, but have no change of heart? And when there's no change of heart, there's no change of my actions. There's no change of my behaviors. So really we can say it this way, to really be born again, there should be some radical change of your behavior. Now when we look at, at what we've been taught in America, Scripture portrays differently the word believe than we're used to. Many times when we see, see or hear the word believe, we think it's a, a mental uh, assentment. It's all mental. We acknowledge it all up here. But the Word of God really doesn't say that. When I look back in verse 9, read it again with me here. And having been for, for perfected, he became the author of eternal, eternal salvation to all who obey him. Really, once again, guys, to truly be born again, I ought to have a heart to obey him. And when I don't obey him, it should bother me. Where I repent. This is what I believe it means to live with the godly fear. Now for months, guys, we've studied this over and over. And you've heard me say, one of the Proverbs says, to fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. We can go back and look at three of the main families or figures that we talked about. Now let me review here. Some of you haven't been here. Uh, we, we first started about a man named Aaron and his two sons. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the elect of Israel. They were great men of God. But they did some things that God did not ask them to do. And because they did some things, they died instantaneously. And they were dead, just boom. We looked at uh, two other people in Acts 5, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, 
and they gave money. But what they gave, guys, they were very deceitful. They acted like they gave this amount of money when really they didn't. And remember in Acts 5, Peter looks at him and says, why do you lie to the Holy Ghost? And guess what happened? They came in and oh, Ananias, he died. A few hours later, his wife died. Why? They didn't fear God. Then we got over into the guy named Eli and his two corrupt sons. And these guys didn't live for God. They despised the things of God. Now in all three of these situations, whether it was Eli, Aaron, or, or Ananias and Sapphira, I believe they all believed in God. I believe every one of them thought, there is a God. The problem with each one of them was this. They didn't fear God. And when I don't fear God, I don't obey God. Now I'm going to jump back here just once again. I want to tell you this story, and maybe some of you guys have been here every week and have heard this, but I'm going to tell it again. Many of you remember the name of the minister years ago named Jim Baker. Jim Baker had a wife named Tammy Faye, and their ministry exploded. It exploded so much that they didn't think they had to be accountable to anybody. It's dangerous when we don't think we got to be accountable to anybody. Man, I'm telling you, that's some scary ground. So ultimately what happens, they lose their ministry, he loses his marriage, and he gets sent to prison. While in prison, a guy comes in and does an interview with him, and he says to him, he said, Reverend Baker, when did you stop loving God? And he said, I never stopped loving God. I just quit fearing God. Now that always touches my heart when I hear that. Turn with me back to Psalm chapter 50, the 50th Psalm tonight. This is why it's very important that we have a reverential fear of God. Not only believe God, but obey God. Now every one of us in here, guys, we live with some form of core values. And my core values are what I live by every day. This should be my core values right here. Because my core values, guys, they will define what I believe, but they will also define how I live. This is why we've got to start living by the Word of God. Get this on the inside. Psalm chapter 50. Begin with me in verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes? Or to take my covenant in your mouth? Now, it's interesting that he starts out and he addresses these, these folk as wicked. But to the wicked, God says, What right do you have to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? So you know what he's saying here? Who do you think you are that you're quoting my word? Now, I want to take you back a little bit in your past. Before I gave my heart to Jesus and I was a sinner, I never quoted the word of God. I never knew the word of God. I really believe in here that he is addressing believers that have got away with obeying his word. The more I read this, you know what I believe he's saying? You guys, you say the right thing. You talk the talk, but you sure don't walk the walk. Now he begins to address this right here. Keep reading with me. 
Verse 17. Seeing you hate instruction. Now the word right there, instruction, many times is the word discipline. You hate to live with discipline. The word discipline means to do what's right even when you don't feel like it. And when you live by the Word of God, there's many days you don't feel like doing the Word of God, but you discipline yourself to go ahead and do it and go ahead and obey it. Keep reading verse 17. Seeing you hate my destruction and you cast my words behind you. You cast my words behind you. Now, I believe he's telling them, you made serving me secondary in your life. You treated the Word of God as insignificant as far as doing and obeying it. You talked about it, but you sure didn't do it. Now remember with that thought, to fear the Lord is to obey the Lord. More than just in my words. Verse 18. When you saw a thief, you consented with him. You sanctioned it. You approved it. When you saw a thief, you just sat there like, no big deal. He goes on to say next, and have been a partaker with adulterers. Now what I believe he's trying to tell us here is, you may not have participated in this, but you didn't flow against it. You didn't say anything to stop it. You really approved it because many times I think we, we have a, a lack of discipline in our own lives. And so I believe in this passage, he's beginning to tell them this. You endorse sin. You endorsed it. You wouldn't look at people and say this is wrong. Now let me tell you something about sin. God justifies the sinner... But he doesn't justify sin. So you know what that means? As a human being, when I sin, and I take ownership of it, and I take full responsibility for my actions, and I repent of it, God will justify me. But when you repeatedly sin over and over, God's not going to justify that. Now the more I begin to look at this, guys, you've got to understand this. A minor infraction will always lead to a major offense. How do you know that? Because in my own life, guys, I never intended this little bit of sin to become a snowball. It always starts out very minor, very little. And many times, you know what we think? Well, we got away with it. It must not be that bad. And so what happens? Sin never says, this is what I really am. Sin never tells you, this is where you're going to end up. That's why in our lives, I believe every one of us need to have this thought. I want to love God and I want to hate sin. I want to love what God loves and I want to hate what God hates. Keep reading. Verse 19. You give your mouth to evil, to filth. And your, front, and your tongue frames deceit or lies. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have kept silent. And you know what I believe he's trying to tell them there? 
He said, just like with Eli and his sons, you didn't have the guts to tell people the truth. So you went along with them, and instead of being an example of, of a godly person, you were an example of evil. Now read this verse again, verse 21 with me. These things you have done, and I have kept silent. So many times what we see in this passage, when we do something, and there's no immediate consequences or immediate judgment, as human beings, you know what our thought is? God's okay with it. What's the matter with a little sin long as it's just ever now and then? Ah, who cares? It's just little, it's just little. Well, the Bible's very clear that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little things. Now, I can tell you this even in my own life. At the age of 12, when I took that first drink, I never had the thought that it would lead me to being an alcoholic. And the first hit on a joint, I never thought that it would ultimately lead to this. And this is the way even sin works. You know, when you tell a little, little white lie, before long you become a proficient habitual liar. Now, never, none of us, I believe, ever start out this way, but because it's not met with immediate judgment or immediate consequences, it's easiest for, for us to keep going. Back to verse 21. These things you have done, and I have kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. You assumed that my silence made it okay. You thought just because any, nothing happened to you. But you know what he's telling us here? Many times when God is silent on things, you know what he's doing? He's given us time. He's given us space to repent. To get my heart right. How do I know this? Well, think about in the days of Noah. That God went to Noah and he said to him. He said, I'm going to give you 120 years to tell all these people they better get right. And so for 120 years, they mocked Noah. He begins to build the ark and they ridiculed him. And he would tell them, get right, get right, get right. And God's mercy went day by day. And God was patient and he was trying to give them time to repent. But ultimately, you know what? They didn't. It's the same thing right here. Keep reading. But I will rebuke you. That word rebuke there means, I will indict you. And when God indicts, you know what he's saying? I declare you guilty. Now what he's talking about in verse 17 through 20 is, is the commandments in the Bible. I believe it's uh, the commandments 8, 7, and 10 are the ones he's dealing with. Or 8, 7, and 9 in that order. But that's what he's dealing with right there in this passage. Now he said, I will rebuke you. And I will set them in order before your eyes. What does that mean? My patience will come to an end, guys. And you will be exposed. In the book of Numbers, chapter 32 and 23, it says this specifically. Take note. Your sin will find you out. Oh. Your sin will find you out. And so what he's telling us there is, don't let it come to this, guys. 
We're all going to be judged at some time, but he's trying to give us, give us insight. Repent. Keep right. Live with a godly fear. And set them in order before your eyes. I will expose them. Now consider this, you who forget God. You know what he's saying? Time's going to be up. It's going to end. Least I tear you into pieces and there be none to deliver. Now I like verse 23. Whoever offer praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright. One translation says, to him who sets his foot on the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Now it's interesting there that he deals with our conduct. Listen guys, God sees everything I do. Does God expect me to be perfect? Guys, God knows that we're humans. We're going to make mistakes. Before I gave my heart to Jesus, it didn't bother me to sin. How's a champion sinner, guys? I sin all the time. That's all. I you know what a sinner does? He sins. He's a good sinner. I mean, proficient. And just the thing is about all of us are sinners, but the issue is some of us are worse sinners than others. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, something began to happen. And when I would sin, the Holy Spirit would convict my heart. And now I begin to understand, man, God, when I got born again, there was some radical change in me. When I started studying this, guys, I, I, I tell you, some things erupted on the inside of me. I'm, I'm going to preach on this on a Sunday morning before long. And the reason I'm going to do it is I, I want every one of us to know the truth. It does us no good to come in here and sing Kumbaya, scratch each other on the back and tell everybody, you know, life is well. We just live on clouds and we just float through. No, I believe this is what needs to be talked about right here. In other words, what he's telling us in a whole, in a nutshell is here, don't play games with God. Don't play games with Him. God is a God of love and God is a God that will bless you. But i got to live under His structure and what He tells me to do. Look, at, look to the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. Ooh, help us Lord Jesus, help us. God isn't the God who does. He does not endorse sin, guys, okay? He does not endorse sin. Live with a godly fear, a reverential fear. I think at times it's tell, it's tell the Lord, Father God, put a fear on me. I, I fear you, Father God. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 1. I charge you. And that word there, I charge, is used in connection with the testimony in a court of law. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. You know what He's saying? On that final time, I'm going to judge the living and I'm going to judge the dead. You know who that means? Me and you. When Jesus comes back, if I'm going to be, if I'm alive, I'm going to be judged. If I'm dead, I'm going to be judged. Okay? Every one of us, we're going to be judged. Verse 2. 
This is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, this pastor. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. I believe this is significant. If you'll note there, he didn't say, Preach Reader's Digest. Preach things that make people feel good. He specifically said, Preach the Word of God. Why? We'll keep reading. He tells them, Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Now it's interesting that part of this he says reprove, rebuke. I believe guys, if there's not rebuking at times in our services, in our life, man, we're going to get off. We're going to get off. And I promise you, there's many and many a day that I tell the Lord, Lord, I don't want to preach on sin. I don't want to do these things. I want to tell everybody about the love of God, the mercy of God. But I believe, guys, in the society and the times we live in, this is crucial. This is very important. And I believe why he's talking about this is, guys, it's to challenge you. It's to urge you. Why? Verse 3. For the time will come when they, people, Christians, will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. What does that mean? Their own opinions. The things that are pleasing to them. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. One translation says, in considerable numbers. So you know what this means? They are more drawn to fables, to mankind, to myths, than the true Word of God. That's why, guys, every time you open your Bible, you ought to celebrate it. You ought to celebrate that I want this. Because He warns us right here, and He says, this time will come. When they will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine. And they'll have itching ears. You know what itching ears is? Tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. And there will be considerable numbers in this. And so what ultimately happens, I believe, guys, is, is ministers get where they're afraid to preach the truth. They're afraid to, to confront sin. Now, I can honestly tell you, I don't really enjoy any of this, but I understand what Paul said to Timothy here, and he said, preach the Word, buddy. Now, there's some of you that I would be pretty afraid of in a fight, but I'm going to tell you right now, I fear God more than I fear you guys. I'm going to tell you that right now. You know why? You can knock me out, you can kill me. But you ain't going to do nothing to me in eternity. And so I understand this, guys. I'm going to stand before God one day on everything I preach. And God's going to poke me in the chest and say, Listen, buddy boy, why were you so gutless? And the next thing that literally scares the 
H-E double toothpicks out of me is I don't ever want anyone you when eternity comes to look at me and say, why didn't you tell us the truth? Man, it's quiet in here. So look what he goes on to say in verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Let me tell you guys right now. It's your choice if you come to church here or not. But wherever you land, make sure they open this book. Make sure they open this book. And when any man tells you things, make sure they give you Scripture and verse. Okay? Don't listen to the fables of man. Don't listen to men who sit there and say, well, the real hell is what we're going through right here on earth. Are you kidding me? The Bible says that hell is a place where there's gnashing of teeth and it's always hot and the worms never end and even your worst enemy, you don't desire him to go there. But these are teachings that are going on. And so the thing I'm wanting to impress on you tonight, guys, live with a godly fear. Live with a godly fear. Unlike you know, Teach your kids to live with a godly fear. And say, oh, Father God, help us. Help us. I don't know about you, and this, this may twist you. You may not like this, but oh well, I'll go ahead and say it. It really, really bothered me on Monday and Tuesday. When I see this NBA player that comes out as a homosexual, and we applaud it. We applaud what God calls sin? Are you kidding me? And I look at this and I think, I, I love people. God loves human beings. God loves that man, but God doesn't like what he's doing. So ultimately, you know what we might as well do? We might as well have adulterers line up here and let's applaud them. woo See guys, we can't go that way. Will we be persecuted for standing up for the truth? Absolutely. But you know what? I'm going to sit here and tell you the truth. That's why we got to read our Bibles. God does not approve of sin. Does God love the sinner? He does. And man, things that are happening in our nation, guys, it grieves me. It grieves me. Well, this guy was so courageous to come out. Ooh, guys, we've got to read our Bible. Stand up before I get in a bunch of trouble tonight. You know what? If you don't agree with me, don't send me a letter. Come up to my face and be a man or a woman. Okay? I respect it. I'm a big boy. I can handle it because I realize everything I say up here. I'm on tape and everything. But listen, we've got to live by the truth. We've got to live by the truth. And I can take you in the Bible where he gets over on adulterers, he gets on over on fornicators, he gets over on homosexuals, and he says, you will not have a place in the kingdom of God. It doesn't have a clause in there except if you're an NBA player. And I can choose to believe it. I can choose to receive it. Or I can deny and believe that a, a, a man with innocent blood died over me. And I don't know why I got on this this hard tonight, but I can tell God's doing something. Bow your head with me.